is the stone that makes people stumble. The rock that makes them fall. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. I like that. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Father, we ask you again that you would help us as we look at your word, that you help us to examine ourselves and think about you, Lord. You're always one who is never willing to strike us down and keep us down. But Lord, sometimes your word might, might, might uh, convict us, but it's always for the intention of building us up, lifting us up, if we'll let you do it, and if we'll just cooperate with you. We pray, Lord, that we will cooperate with you today and that we'll learn something that will help us to see that you've made us to be priests to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last couple Sundays we have uh, considered two issues that can hinder our spiritual growth and effectiveness for the Lord as we get older in the Lord. And when I say get older in the Lord, it just doesn't mean, you know, old outside, but, you know, someone can receive the Lord when they're just a child, and they can follow the Lord, you know, for 20, 30 years and just and be 30 and in, in their 30s. And uh, they would be old in the Lord, so to speak. So when I say, uh, when I'm talking about uh, age, we're not just talking about old, you know, seniors. We're talking about age in the Lord. We looked at a couple things a couple, well, a couple weeks ago. First of all, if you remember, we talked about here the, the hindrances of spiritual growth is that the urgent things in our life dominating the important. Remember, we talked about the Mary Martha problem a couple weeks ago. How, uh, you know, it's um, when you allow the urgent to dominate things, when, you, when that gets out of control, it uh, causes just a chaotic frustration in your life. Believe me, I know. Uh, it causes you to feel like you're out of control. Your priorities are all cattywampus. Isn't that a neat word? We ought to use it more often. Um, it's a neat word to say that, you know, when you feel like uh, everything's out of balance and flying apart. Uh, tell you, I've seen things out of balance, and I've seen motors that get out of balance, and it's not pretty. I've seen washing machines get out of balance, and that's really, that's really, that's, that never works out well, does it? When things get out of balance, things fly apart, and that's why it's important for us as Christians to make sure that uh, we don't allow the urgent things, which are always going to be there, they're always there, to crowd out the more important things, the most important things in our life, like our relationships with God, taking time to make sure we, we, we get to know Him, that we continue that relationship of, of intimacy with Him, of feeding our lives with His Word, and, uh, and, and learning how to pray more and more effectively, and learning how wonderful and freeing prayer can be, and not a burden, not just a discipline that you practice that doesn't mean anything, or you're going beyond that, but and also maintaining those relationships, of course, we have with those who are closest to us, our, our spouses, our children our friends. Second of all, we learned too that we've been, we, we've focused on here to, that the importance of staying active, uh, keeping a, an uh, active in your relationship with Jesus. Um, 
we didn't uh, talk about this, but I, we have in the past, but I thought I just would bring it to your memory here. Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, that, that his life was being used up like a drink offering. You might remember a few months ago, I think I, we spoke about this, right? I, I mentioned this to you. That uh, I think it was good for us to talk about it again, just to remind ourselves about it. That Apostle Paul said that his, his life was being used up or poured out like a, like a drink offering. And that was a reference, loved ones, to the Old Testament uh, in Numbers 15 and 28. That after you brought your, your sacrifice to the altar, to the priest whether it be a lamb or whether it be a, you know, if it could be, a, it could be a, a, a bird, it could be a dove or a pigeon or it could be a lamb or it could be a, a ram or it could be a bull, depending on, on your financial situation. When you brought your sacrifice to, to the priest and as he laid the sacrifice on the altar and as it was burning and, as, and this was your act of worship to the Lord, that you were, you worshiped the Lord, you were surrendered to the Lord, you believed in Him, and he, you trusted His forgiveness, and you, as you worshiped Him, you could also have Him take a glass of wine and pour it out next to the altar. As your sacrifice is being, is, you know, the smoke is going up, He would take the, the, the cup of wine that represented your life, and He would pour it out next to the altar. And that's what Paul's talking about because the, that represented the person's, not only the, 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 their sacrifice that they were giving the Lord for the forgiveness of their sins, or at least their, as they had faith in the Lord that he would forgive them. Um, the wine being poured out represented their personal dedication to God that, Lord, I want to use up my life for you. The life you've given me is full. And as, you, as it being poured out, it was a symbol of saying, Lord, I want to be poured out for you. Use me the way you want to use me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's saying already to Timothy, and he's talking to the Philippians as well, talking to Timothy, and said, uh, um, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. And uh, that's the way God uses us. You know, and, and that's what being a priest is all about, matter of fact, is that everything you do for the Lord, everything, everything you do for Him, all the way from reading your Bible, you know, and, and praying to, to giving to His causes, things that we know here in church, maybe it's, maybe it's giving to His causes uh, outside the ministry of this church uh, all the way from a kind word that you gave to somebody who uh, obviously needed it and maybe didn't deserve it but you gave it to him anyway all the way from baking a pie of, to encourage somebody I mean there are all kinds of things everything every bit of energy that uh, we have in our life that we say Lord I belong to you and everything I want to serve you uh, teaching Sunday school or uh, vacuuming the floor or sweeping the kitchen floor in the, you know, in the cafe. It, 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 it can be a zillion things. Every little bit I pour out. You know, I pour out some. You know, every, every word of thanksgiving, uh, expression of, of helping someone. 
is part of my service. It's not just in this building. Most of it actually happens outside this building. Yeah. It's easy as a Christian to start wanting to be served instead of serving. As we get older, if somehow we're not in tune, we're not in step in the Spirit, we're more self-focused, all of a sudden it's about the comforts of our world, or the comforts of what I want, and it seems like it, it gets more pronounced as we get older, and we stop thinking about others, we just start thinking about ourselves, about how people are treating us, what we need, why haven't they taken care of us, blah, blah, blah. It's so easy for that to happen. And I believe the Lord would have us to be reminded that to be like the Apostle Paul. And it's not about me. It's about him. And about the life he gave me to use it for his honor. Yeah, there's a lot of people who you're going to be aggravated with and you think they're not living life right. They're not doing things right. That's easy to point out, isn't it? <laughs> what can you do? What can you do to be a blessing? To serve, to, to be a light. You're a representative of the Lord's light. What can you do to possibly be an extension of, of Jesus to them? Let me tell you, Apostle Paul, he said, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what age you are, again, young, middle age, or senior. Um, our life still has enough in it to serve and worship the Lord. Amen? If you're, if you're breathing, you still can be a living sacrifice. If you're breathing, you can still be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. I know our service changes in ways that accommodate our age and our abilities. It changes, but whether we're young or old, we still can pursue pouring out our life, loved ones, pouring out our life in little drips, little, little bits here and there for our Lord in a worship-filled manner. My dad, as many of you know, uh, has uh, what they call slow dementia. Uh, the last four years he's been experiencing that and it's increasingly creeping up on him and uh, uh, in, in circles, in dementia circles, you always hear talk like you, you lose people who have dementia in pieces. You know, you just kind of lose them that, that way. His short-term memory is worsening more every year. However, uh, even he is still being poured out like a drink offering. My father just turned 93 yesterday, and thank you for those of you who sent cards. Appreciate that. He's, he, he got them, and, and uh, he said, your church is always sending me cards. Yeah. And um, he's still being poured out like a drink offering in the Lord in several ways. For example, let me tell you some ways he is. He makes sure because I handle his finances, he makes sure, he says, David, use my extra finances to show, to show the love of God to others. I can't handle it anymore, but you can. So you, whatever, I know you take care of what I, my bills and everything else, but if you know that you know there's extra in there, if you know someone has, has need, please use that to show the love of Jesus. <laughs> Wow, Dad. He still wants to always be loving to everyone he meets, even though he can't always remember their name when they come. <laughs> 
Even in, even in his dementia, he still reads and he tries to gain grow in spiritual knowledge. I tell you, my mom used to get so aggravated with him because he'd have books stacked up next to the rocking chair and everything and things he was reading. And uh, as a kid, I used to hear this going on, how mom would be telling dad, would you please put your books away? You know, it just piled up. Now that mom's gone, been gone a long time, he, no one's there to tell him, so they're stacked up everywhere. I mean, he's got books stacked up in his, I mean, you, if there's an open spot, he'll put a book there that he's reading. He's just reading, reading constantly. I'm always finding new books that he's opened up that he's, that he's reading, trying to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. He still sings to the Lord. My aunt tells me there's, there's a monitor upstairs and she can hear what's going on. She says, I hear him singing up there. He's singing to Jesus. Sometimes he even sings in his sleep. Oh, wow. That's not happened to me yet, I don't think, has it, honey? I don't think, okay, it hasn't. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. He allows me to do for him what he cannot do as an example of how God cares for us. God does for us what we can't do, doesn't he? And may I also add that he still prays. And we'll get to that, more on that eventually. But last week, we, 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 I just wanted to em emphasize to you that no matter, again, your, what your ability might be, limited as you get older, you can still pour out your life. There's all kinds of ways you can pour out your life and dedication to Jesus. We saw last week that some hindrances to spiritual growth here, the, the, um, we talked about four things that we admired about Caleb at 85 years of age in the Old Testament that first of all that remember how he wholeheartedly followed the Lord for like 45 years he, he was one of the spies and the, who first went into the land and then God wouldn't let him go in because of the unfaithfulness of the 10 other spies and, but God said Caleb you're going to get to go back in and it was 45 years later he was 85 years old and, and Caleb he held on he followed the Lord wholeheartedly how he consistently held on to God's promise he continued to pursue the Lord even during those 45 years and he and he took, uh, took God at his promise and just boldly expected God to help him accomplish God's plan for his life. The Bible never tells us that uh, as we walk with Jesus here on this planet that our discipleship one day will come to an end that you have arrived. You don't need to, you don't need to expand any further in your knowledge or, or in your service. The Bible never tells us that. You say, well, wait a minute. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says knowledge will come to an end. But he's talking about spiritual gifts there. And that's true. Spiritual gifts will come to an end when Jesus returns. But loved ones, I'm here to tell you that discipleship, um, I, didn't go through, I didn't go through those for you, but discipleship means learning and new discovery. And I just have this great suspicion that we will have a wonderful opportunity to go on discovering all the wonders of God for all eternity. We will. God's going to reveal uh, just the wonderful things about himself and about his kingdom to us throughout all eternity. And we're not going to be hindered by any kind of spiritual weakness then that hinders us now. Doesn't that just blow your mind? So, in other words, our learning and our advancing in the knowledge of Jesus and our practice of that knowledge resulting in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit never gets to the point where we can say we have arrived now. No, Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2 verses 1 to uh, 12, excuse me, verses 1, 1 to 2, he says that as we continue to offer our bodies as living sacrifice to God, he says as we, as we do this, um, then we uh, are continually in process of being transformed 
transformed outside because of the renewal of our minds inside. You know, I, I know there's still worldliness in my life. I mean, I walk with Jesus 50 years now. I've walked with him since I was 14 years old. So I've walked with him for 50 years. And um, I know there's still worldliness in my life. There's not, not any like, anything like there used to be. Because every day God's in the process, loved ones, of sanctifying us. As we, as we walk with Him, as we pour our lives out for Him, as we continue to worship Him and dedicate ourselves to Him, the Holy Spirit leads us in the light as He's in the light. And as we stand step with it, uh, He will show us things that are faulty in our thinking, faulty in our attitudes. It's called sanctification. And He's in the process of whittling us off, whittling the world out of our life making us more and more Christ-like, making us more and more in the character of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul says that just will continue to go on till the day that Jesus returns and we're perfected when we get, get to heaven. In the book of Re Revelation chapter uh, 5 and, and 6, it was revealed to the Apostle John that God had a master plan Revealing himself through this physical world, through the sacrifice of God the Son, the, the, you know, the Lamb of God, providing a rebellious mankind uh, with redemption and salvation and eternal life. And God the Father is pictured there as holding this scroll. It's a master plan. It was written, had a writing on the inside and outside of it. And around that scroll, if you look, if you read later on this afternoon in Revelation 5, 5 and 6, around that scroll were seven bands. There were seven seals, they were, they're, they're actually called. But they're like, they're like metal bands that are holding the scroll shut. Okay? This plan is God's master plan for for all time, for his master plan for the universe, master plan for all people, his master plan through Christ and through the, through this, the salvation that was, he was going to provide for us. And this, there were seven rings or seven seals that were, were, were locking up this scroll. A mighty angel shouts out, Who is worthy? Who is worthy to break the seals? Who's worthy to open up God's plan? Who's worthy to cause God's plan of blessing and judgment and salvation, all these things, to start happening? And John said, he said, there was no one. No, no, one, no one answered. There, were, there was no one. And John says, I began to weep bitterly. I began to weep, you know, uh, 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 deeply. And... Because there was no one worthy or qualified to break the seven seals that locked up God's plan. And someone shouted to him and said, Stop weeping, for look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. He is worthy to open up God's master plan. That's what this, this being and heaven told John, wouldn't that be something to see? Wouldn't that be something to hear, what, what, what John saw there? And when Jesus, of course, the Lamb of God, when he took the scroll from the hand of the Father, all the created beings in heaven fell down in worship, and they had these golden bowls filled with incense, which represented the prayers of God's people, the prayers of God's priests on earth. No matter how old they are, no matter how, 
how old they are, whether they're young or old, if they are believers in Jesus, if they belong, if they're God's children, they are a priest, and their prayers matter to God, and they're actually collected in heaven, and God is going to use them. We're going to see this another, not today, but we're going to see this next week about how God uses those prayers to bring forth his kingdom. And that's why it's always important for us to continue learning how to pray, how the Bible teaches us to pray. How the Bible teaches us the effectiveness of our prayers and why Jesus said, don't ever give up. You may feel like you're failing in prayer, but don't ever give up. Because <laughs> your prayers are being collected in heaven. They matter to God. Because your priestly service matters to God. Wow, that's powerful. It says also that they, they sang a new song which described, you know, why Jesus was worthy to break the seven scrolls, or the seven seals, excuse me, and open the scroll. Yeah. Have you ever thought about this? Let me ask you this question. Why is Jesus worthy? Is it because he's a good teacher? Is that why he's worthy? Is he, why he's worthy to open up God's master plan? Why he's able to break all those seven seals? Is it because he was a good teacher? Is it because he, you know, he performed miracles for people? Well, those aren't the answers. I mean, he did those things, but that's not the reason why he's worthy. They, they actually answer the question right there in the text. They said this is the reason that, that, that he's worthy is because, right here, because he was slaughtered and his blood has ransomed people for God from every group of people on the earth. It's because he caused some, those, those same people like you and me to become a kingdom of priests for God. And that's something. That's why he's worthy, because he was slaughtered, because he died on the cross, because he died for you and me. That's what made him worthy. That's why he's able to break those seals. That's why he could take the, the, the master plan out of God's hand and he could unfold it. And that's why it's, being, it's unfolded now and it's in, in the progress of being fulfilled. Amen. Yeah. What, uh, what does it mean for you and me Anyone who is an active disciple of Jesus Christ, what does it mean to be a priest? Well, Peter taught us in 1 Peter, we read that in 1 Peter chapter 2, there that, that through Jesus, God has made each of us into a holy priesthood. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to offer spiritual sacrifices for God? Let's, let's look here at Verse, verse 9 again. It says, For you are a chosen people. You are a royal, pri you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow. be a possession of God. There's some other portions of Revelation where, if you remember where you've read before, where there are those who belong to the beast or who belong to Satan, who belong to the worldly system, who are marked by an image or marked by a, a sign, a mark on their either hand or forehead. But also says there that those who belong to God have his seal of ownership marked on their foreheads. It is really special to be a possession of God. That God possesses you. That he owns you. That you belong to him. It's wonderful. 
Isn't that something? So God delights in you and me showing the light of his goodness to others who are in darkness. God is happy that you and I are in the world and pouring out our lives and in that pouring out, in that act of kindness, in that act of truth, in that act of encouragement, whatever it might be, in that, in that gift of money, whatever it is, it is their acts of worship and acts of light, acts of light and truth to people who are lost, people who are in darkness. Think about that. It gives God great delight that you serve him as a priest, showing the world the light of his truth and the light of his love, the light of his goodness. You know, we have spiritual elites right now. We have spiritual elites in church leadership now and in our Christian education institutions telling us today that we need to turn off the truth because it's too offensive to culture. We need to dumb down, if you will, the Word of God. We need to dumb down our doctrines. We need to dumb these things down so people can, uh, they are not so offensive uh, to, to the world. Uh, if you will, we, if we want to attract people in darkness to the church, then we need to turn off the light. Because the light is offensive to people who don't know God. Now, let me ask you that. Does that make sense to you? It's making sense to a lot of people in religion and people in Christian churches today. We want to, we want to quiet down on Jesus a little bit. We want to quiet down on what sin really is. We want to quiet down on hell for sure. Because that's offensive and we, we want to attract people. We want to, we want to attract people to, to our organization. Um, we're supposed to, again, uh, make it dumb it down to the point where people don't want to think about learning what God's Word says. We want to make the gospel mean what it doesn't mean. We want to take the offensive parts out of the gospel so the culture, you know, can feel better about itself and feel more at ease and feel inclusive. How smart would that be in the days when lighthouses were really, really in use for ships at sea to turn off the light at night so ships can do what? Crash? <laughs> it reminds me of the story, and I think I might have shared this with you years ago. It reminds me of the story of a captain of a ship on a dark night who saw faint lights on, on the horizon. Immediately he ordered a, a signal to be sent. Alter your course 10 degrees south. <laughs> Promptly a return message was received. Alter your course, 10 degrees north. The captain was really upset and angered about that. And he said, so uh, he sent a second message. Alter your course, 10 degrees south. I am a captain. <laughs> message was returned. Alter your course, 10 degrees north. I am a seaman, third class. <laughs> Immediately the captain in anger sent a third message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. Then the reply came, Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. I'm <laughs> once, the church has to be the lighthouse. And we, we can't alter our message. 
Even though the world tells us we have, the culture says, you need to tone it down. You need to, even people within the church who are somehow trying to reach the world, at least they say they are, they, they, want, to, they want to compromise doctrines. They want to compromise our sexual stand on things, on, uh, what the, on, the, on the, the, uh, the purity of God's word. We, we, they want to uh, do these things because they think somehow <laughs> it's uh, going uh, to just make a bigger party uh, for us, more, include more people. But God says, I'm a lighthouse. You know, we're, we're a lighthouse. We're, uh, we're to be here to warn people about the rocks they're going to crash on if they don't turn to the light. God's truth may, may uh, not be tolerable to this culture, but let me tell you, as a kingdom of priests, we cannot alter God's truth, can we? We cannot make sin any less offensive than what God has revealed it to be. And we can't lower the standard of Christ's gospel and God's word. Amen. We are his priests in the same way. We can't compromise his holiness. We can't compromise the truth about sexuality and genders and all this, all these other things we've talked much about here in the past several months. But we must not be profane priests. Some priests... In the Old Testament, they, they profaned their calling. They lived sinful lives. They, they were thieves. They stole sacrifices from the people. They, uh, they were wicked. We don't want to profane our calling, but want to move forward in faith in this difficult anti-God culture. We don't want to shrink back. In the Old Testament, it's interesting, uh, this understanding of Old Testament priesthood carries over into the New, but it started in the Old Testament. The people of Israel, you know, they were in bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage in, in, in Egypt there, and God, God freed them. And uh, his, his intention was, it says in the, in the Old Testament, that he wanted to make them a kingdom of holy priests to reflect his truth and holiness to the ungodly Canaanites around them. But somehow they got it mixed up, and they the Israelites kept their light to themselves, kept God's truth to, to themselves, and looked down on the culture in hatred and uh, didn't want to share God's truth. You know, to be a priest is very, very special. Uh, Watchman Nee, Watchman Nee said, said, said this about the priesthood. He said, every person in Israel had one unique occupation, the occupation of serving God in whatever you do. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Occupation of serving God in whatever you do. Whatever you do, whatever you do. Bathing your dog. You can worship the Lord. Giving announcements can be worshiped to the Lord. Fellowshipping is worship to the Lord. Fixing that stupid car. Worship to the Lord. <laughs> he goes on to say that God delights in separating men and women too from the earth for his service. He delights in seeing men live solely for his affairs. God wants all his children to be priests and to serve him. One of the dangers of growing older in Christianity as we close today, 
one of the dangers of growing older in Christianity or even being a Christian again for several years is, uh, is this improper familiarity that uh, it's a danger for all of us. It's been a danger for me at times too over the years. Uh, this improper, improper familiarity with spiritual things, the spiritual things of God that cause you to di- dismiss those times that you are impatient. It causes you to dismiss those times that you're rude or that you are um, inconsiderate or unkind or you give in to a little temptation. You allow angry to get out of control and you just, you know, you blow it off as well, you know, I'm just human. Or you allow a little unforgiveness to persist there towards somebody else. That little resentment, a little grudge. Um... It's kind of like you're just dimming the light a little bit. The, you're dimming the lantern of God's light that you're carrying. You don't deny Jesus necessarily, but, but you, you just give yourself permission to be grumpy. You give yourself permission to be grouchy. Well, I, I'm tired today, and that's why I, I spoke sharply to, to that cashier. Besides, she wasn't very friendly to me. Um, give yourself permission to be unkind, to be, a, to be a, the kind of Christian you want to be instead of determining to serve the Lord the way He wants you to be. You know, I've known many people who claim to love Jesus, but man, their attitudes reflect allowing the dirt of the world in some way to tarnish their spirits. I, and um, I was told by an unbeliever... <laughs> who works at Swiss Village. This is terrible to say this, but it wasn't my testimony, it was theirs. But an unbeliever at Swiss Village, one of the nurses there, one of their helpers, said, man, some of the worst grouchy, ungrateful patients that she serves are grouchy, ungrateful Christians. Never say thank you. Always grouching about what I'm not doing. You know, even though I'm trying to do my best. You know, I thought, oh my goodness. It happens, doesn't it? As a priest, it's easy for us to um, somehow get so familiar with spiritual things, with the Bible, with church, with, with God, that we think that, oh, we'll just give her, we get this little permission to, you know, for a little lust, for a, a little pornography, or we get our permission, you know, for a little unkindness, or I can have my way this time. You know, we give ourselves permission for that. Because, you know, we walk with the Lord a long time and we've got some clout with Him. And all the while we're profaning our calling because <laughs> we're not representing Him properly. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Because Jesus has called you and me to be His priest, to continue representing Him and showing His goodness in, in, the, in the times that are easy and let me tell you, the times that are difficult. There's times i got to tell you, I've told the Lord, Oh Lord, I feel like today... I'm just barely hanging on. You know, you ever been there? I'm just barely hanging on. There's so many things coming at all different angles. <sighs> Help me, I pray. You know, you're just, with all your heart, you're believing, you're stretching forward. And you think, I don't feel like, Lord, have you ever told the Lord this? I don't feel like I'm doing this very well. <laughs> have you ever told him that? I don't feel like I'm doing this very well. I don't feel like I'm really showing your love the way I should. I'm doing the best I can, but I, I don't know how, if I'm doing it right. Uh, and then in the midst of all that noise, you wait just a while. And I tell you, it's wonderful. So many times he's come and said, everything's just fine. 
I've got you at the head of the battle. That's why you're feeling the stress. That's why you're feeling the pressure. David, you're at the head of the spiritual battle. Well, you're getting a lot of bombs. You're getting a lot of arrows. You're getting a lot of things coming at you. And that's where I want you to be. And you want to say, Lord, thank you for the assurance. And let's go get them. Let's keep on showing the love of Jesus. Let's keep on showing the kindness. Let's keep on showing that self-control, that wisdom, where you're not letting the urgent crowd out the important. You know all these things that means to be a priest that represents God on earth. Oh, many times I've made mistakes. Many times I've failed, faltered, screwed things up, and had to go back and apologize. I've had to apologize to Becky. There's times I've had to ask forgiveness to the Lord, like I lost control there, Father. I'm sorry. I, I was impatient there. I was unkind. Oh, I tell you, kindness is such a big thing to God. To be unkind is one of the most unchristlike things you can do. So, You might say, PD, you don't know what I've been going through. Well, maybe not, but I, I have known the long days of those hardships, like I said, and uh, at times, again, I fail, but it's also where the battle is today, and we have to be willing to let the Lord stretch us. And like I said last week, He's always pushing us up to a higher hill to see something that we haven't learned yet. Amen? Well, let's close. I... God's called you and me to be priests and to continue to represent Him and showing His goodness here. And uh, you, you may have forgotten. I just want to show you again. You might have forgotten that although you look like a kitten on the outside, Jesus has made you a priestly lion on the inside. And we should strive to live it. Don't you think? Let's stand together. If you'd like to pray today, if there's anything on your hearts you'd like to come and pray about, I'd be glad to join you down here and pray. You know, prayer is always, uh, this altar is always open and prayer is always welcome. So, but uh, if you've got a need, just feel free to come, come and I will pray with you and talk with you. Father, today, thank you so much for this great and wonderful calling you've given us as priests of yours. To, when you, we, we, uh, you saved us, you called us into this earthly priesthood, Lord, all of us who believe on you and thank you for the privilege of serving you. Opportunity to be kind to people when they're not, not kind to us. Wow. Talk about being like Jesus, Father. That's just how they treated him and, and now we get to be like him here. Father, we, we pray, Lord, that, uh, that none of us would, would give ourselves permission to lower the standard. But that we all will, will be true. We will walk tall. We will take the high road and we will live on the high road. And we will, when we feel like we're faltering, when we're weak, that we'll fall to our knees and just look up to you and trust you for the strength for the moment, God. So we pray that we will stand, Lord, firm as your royal priests. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people could say, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. And if you'd like to pray, I'd be willing to pray with you up here and encourage someone before you leave today.